Hey everybody, this is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Um, I am so excited to be broadcasting from my outdoor office at my actual home. For those of you who are like my Instagram BFFs or just uh, have been following this podcast for a minute, you know that for the last six weeks I have not had internet at home. I've been one of the rare people who had to take on a commute during the corona quarantine and I had to start commuting to my mom's house when I moved. Um, I mean, she lives two blocks away, so it wasn't, it was not that big of a hardship, but it is really different to go from a life where I was working from home uh, 100% of the time, which as an entrepreneur, that means I kind of work 24 <laughs> 7. Um, do what you love for a living and you never stop working is really the rub. Um, but also, uh, kind of disrupting that and like not having like my food and my, my self care, like all in the same spot where I work. It was just a really jarring, uh, shift, uh, because the only internet service provider that works in the mountains here, uh, wasn't doing installs during stay at home. And then there was a long backlog and yada, yada, yada. But look at me now, look at how the power of time, uh, has <laughs> achieved, me finally being able to record outside. I hope you can hear um, the subtle noise of night frogs and crickets because um, I do live in the forest. Um, and uh, anyway, it's just so beautiful here. I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm really grateful that you tuned into this podcast specifically. My conversation with McKay is so good. We recorded it pre-coronavirus um, and I actually had it in my... Um, in my queue, but then when the coronavirus hit, there was just so much uncertainty. I really kind of dove into a series of psychics <laughs> that I interviewed, which is fun. Um, and you should definitely check those out. Um, really great episodes. But this one was when I knew that would be timeless because I think McKay is a kind of human being that lives uh, beyond space and time. McKay is uh, a very multi-gendered person um, and a really like I don't know. McKay is kind of an experience uh, more than just a human being and um, and definitely a delight all the time. And um, and just listening to our conversation and hearing back about uh, what we talked about, just like the journey of like body dysmorphia and body loathing, as well as like gender dysmorphia and like not even having a word for for how to describe their gender growing up in a small town. Um, and then also just like Mormonism. Somehow, as an adult, I found myself with many of my close friends who were former Mormons. Um, and now I think McKay is the third former Mormon I have interviewed on my podcast, or a third person who was raised Mormon and is no longer Mormon. Um, if you if you're interested, my episode with H. Allen Scott and my episode with Deidre, I think those are both within the first ten episodes, um, are also both former Mormons fun conversations. Um, and anyway, so I just, I find, uh, the, I find people who have defied conventional upbringings to become their very own unique self, to be, um, incredibly wonderful humans. Um, and a lot of my friends kind of describe that. And that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is really just to give you stories from people who have overcome various obstacles, uh, created new belief systems in their life and are now flourishing as adults. And of course, like we're all like flawed humans. Uh, no one is perfect, but, um, yeah, like I just hope that it inspires you to kind of get out of the box of your own thinking about who you have to be and just really dig deep into your heart and discover who you want to be and, uh, kind of start, create your life and make your choices around the person you want to be. Um, and, 
I also want to tell you about my Patreon, which is the best way to support this podcast. So Patreon is a membership uh, platform that allows folks like you to support creators like me who make work that um, enhances their life. Um, I My flagship tier is my Fat Kid Dance Party weekly online aerobics class, which is a class I create just for y'all. And um, it used to be that I was filming my live classes and providing them for people online. And now that there is no group exercise because there are no group interactions, um, it's totally solo. So I became a mix of solo and live, and now it's just solo. It's just me in the forest bringing summer camp to you uh, with aerobics. Uh, and I also just launched um, an online Zoom class at 11 a.m. on Saturdays. So if you want Pacific, uh, so if you want to party with me uh, like live on Zoom, um, I don't record those classes. So they're one and done. If you don't show up, you don't get it. Uh, but I also so far have only taught classes that I've also taught for my online classes. So you can always catch the nice uh, version from the forest. Um, but anyway, that's turning into a really fun group of people. And I just want to use this as an opportunity to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone because I was so intimidated about teaching aerobics on Zoom. I was like, it's already hard enough for me to manage music and teaching um, aerobics and like kind of scanning my class and like watching people that it's, uh, it just felt like too complicated to throw like also managing a Zoom. Because uh, like, you know, Zoom management's a thing. I use it a lot for business. And um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into managing a Zoom meeting. So I was very intimidated by it. I thought it would be way too much. And it actually has been great. Um, I think part of it is because I don't record it. So like I have less to really worry about other than um, the fact that uh, here's the thing about using a computer screen. If people type to you and you're stepped far enough away from your computer so people can actually see your whole body moving. You can't read the computer. You can't read the chat. Um, so that's the only thing. It's just me needing to continually like run up to the computer and see, okay, are we good on sound? Are we good on all that? But anyway, if you join my Patreon at any level, even the $5 level, um, you can join my weekly classes. I really want to make this Patreon as valuable as possible, just an undeniable bargain. And as I continue to scale and as more folks join, it enables me to offer more value. And I'm really, really appreciative of everyone who co-creates for me uh, or with me on Patreon. Um, and then also on the Patreon, I do a series of podcast mini episodes about self-care, self-love, advice, all those things. Um, Reiki healings, meditations, just things that I think might be of value to anybody. So anyway, that's patreon.com slash FKDP. That stands for Fat Kid Dance Party, which is my aerobics class for anybody who's felt left behind by mainstream fitness. If you've ever been called too fat, too much, or felt too awkward to dance, it is definitely the supportive all levels class for you. So now that I've said my piece, I really hope that you'll enjoy this conversation with McKay. I want you to imagine that we're together on a porch with some uh, some blankets and maybe your favorite cup of beverage, um, and we're hanging out and sharing our hearts. And I also just want to say I intentionally left in some weird recording things um, just because it felt it felt weird to chop it up because it just felt so right and so imperfect because the theme of this podcast is start before you're ready. Um, and there was definitely a time where my cat fell off of the couch during recording and, um, and McKay was in Los Angeles while we were recording. So there's like a trash truck and construction noise and who knows what else, but you know, it's not supposed to be perfect. So anyway, love you all. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show. You're a witch. So, Hey girl. Oh, thanks. Um, Everybody, welcome McKay to the podcast. 
Hey. <laughs> what is How does this like, work? Are you snapping? Um, I just lit a candle and some sage. As oh. you were saying, welcome. <laughs> okay. Feels like a ceremonial start. <laughs> it does. It feels very ceremonial. I'm into it. Um, so for those of you who have not had the privilege of meeting McKay yet, I met McKay when we were both living in LA, uh, which you still do. Um, and See. yeah, and just truly a light in the world, someone who, uh, I think kind of exists to delight other people in many ways, not like in a people pleasing way, but just in a, like, I don't think there's many people in your world who don't delight around you. You're so sparkly and authentic and sweet and, uh, in flux kind of all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> and thank you I mean is it funny I, I don't know like no you nailed it thank you. you I that's right or the flux part is the part I'm laughing at and I'm yeah. just saying thank you for all the rest yeah I mean you're a Libra with a Libra moon so we've just got a lot of flux just naturally it's ever seeking balance permaflux baby that's mm-hmm. where we live um, and also, you're the kind of person who will just shave your head and start over. That's really true. And not two minutes ago, did I look in the mirror and say, ooh, it's time to shave my head. <laughs> so good job, Rich. Um, McKay, will you tell us about um, growing up? Where were you growing up? What was it like? And um, how did you feel? Where was I growing up? I'm still growing up, and how does it feel? Um, <laughs> wild. <laughs> uh, my, I grew up as a child in um, a tiny little town of 2,000 people called Kimberly, Idaho, um, in the southern, south central Idaho, in what's more broadly known as the Magic Valley. Ooh, and I lived on, I lived on Gem Drive in the Magic Valley, which the poetics of which I never got until later when I told someone. My friend Chloe was like, "You grew up on a street called Gem in a ma- in a valley called Magic," um, which was good for perspective because it was a tiny little town, um, and the feeling of it was being really delighted by community, um, and also building an entire life around getting the fuck out of there i mean for real um i'd love okay so first of all i just want to write the children's book where mckay comes from gem street in the magic valley um (laughs) (laughs) it's a fun thing to realize later on i'm like oh there is some real beauty there and when i ran away i ran away to new haven i ran away to a haven (laughs) um you ran away and then I moved feel. to the city of angels. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's some language there that is, I'm appreciating. I, there's a lot of really fantastical language in your story too. Like a stint with the whiff and poofs, like a lot of <laughs> really magical words and descriptions. <laughs> That's really funny. I really, where my head lives in, in a land of uh poetry so it's nice to see mapped out in real life often poetry and whimsy so you are a person that I feel like your gender is like more like a what a a less defined and a more fluid experience right that's very true yes 
And, and, and so you're a person now who just like, so people get a little context, uses they, them pronouns. Uh, but you grew up in a Mormon family in a very small town in Idaho with Correct. five siblings. Um, Correct. I can imagine that probably you were the weirdest among them. <laughs> well, what's really, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think everyone's pretty weird. But yeah, I think that's true. I think um, I was the middle child and very proudly both. Yeah, I very naturally built an identity around that, which is like really being the outsider. Um, though my siblings are giving me a run for my money these days. Um, <laughs> I use they, them pronouns. I also include he, him, um, which is a funny thing because I really... Um, like, you know, I feel witnessed and and it is most accurate to use they, them pronouns with me. But I also have found this, like, balance in my life where I realize that my life is made infinitely saner by including he, him pronouns. And I occupy some amount of privilege in not feeling trauma around that at all. And so I, I include both. Um, so especially professionally, I still hear and receive lots of he him and i'm and i'm just going with it all i think um, that sounds like a really good way that in your mind you're kind of like receiving this world that doesn't fully like see you does that make sense yeah it does and also like getting really honest about the emotional labor i'm willing to do and not do <laughs> yep <laughs> that's really all it is i'm just like <laughs> And there's a part of me that feels shame around that. Like I teach, I'm teaching tonight and have taught in the past uh, this awesome, if you're ever in LA, there's a project called TGNB, Transgender Non-Binary uh, Fitness Project, led by this awesome person named Elliot. Um, Mr. Leather, Los Angeles, one of the first uh, trans mask um, folks to ever compete at National Mr. Leather. Yeah. Uh, teaching that class, I'm saying this because it's on my mind tonight, but on more than one occasion, it sent me into like, it's wild, it's such a beautiful space and, so, and everyone's amazing. But teaching it, I get this freaking imposter syndrome because I'm like, you're not a real non-binary person. You still include he, him pronouns in your life. Mm -hmm. And there's a real like critical, I really can beat myself up over that. Um, but the truth is I'm a lot of things and a lot, and uh, you know, semantics, are what they are <laughs> i don't know i think um, sometimes they're just inadequate they really are it's really true and also um you know you you pick and choose your battles and you pick and sometimes things are really pronouns are really different for different people oh my god that's so true and also like um, oh wait no say what you're gonna say well, I was going to try to stop going off on this tangent and get back to your question about growing up. I think this gender conversation is super important. And also, this is not a podcast that needs to be linear to be understood. And so, oh, right. I guess, like, <laughs> let's dig in a little bit more about pronouns. So, like, when people out there, like, if someone's listening to this and doesn't really understand, like, what the impact is of, like, feeling seen and witnessed in a pronoun versus, like, just kind of getting by in a pronoun. Like, 
is that something that you can talk about or is that just like more like, I don't know. I'm just curious, like if you have more to say about that, like um, kind of existing in a binary world as a non-binary person, because the binary is just a made up construct to give people order and understanding that doesn't actually cover human diversity. Yeah, I can totally, uh, yeah, everything you said. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just a big yes to all of the questions. (laughs) Um, Here's what's true, is that um, I have been a person of, like, trans experience since the time I was young. I, I mean, obvious, I mean, that's always been my uh, position in the world and I always felt like this crazy other, um, which resulted in like a lot of insane dysmorphia and like internal dystopia when I was younger and then it wasn't until I was older and was with um, some basically I just started to I started recognizing that like anyone that knows me really well knows me as this other thing not a man not a woman but as this other thing and this was like only 10 years ago, but it was 10 years ago when like, I didn't know the word non-binary. Mm-hmm. And so I just really started to see and experience myself as like, oh, and it's funny how it, for me, it had to do with the other. Like I couldn't, for me, knowing that I was a kind of other uh, wasn't quite enough for me to like define it. It took me being like, oh, when someone, when I feel really witnessed by someone and supported by someone, it's because they see me as this like other category, which is, and especially in my relationship with straight men, like I have some really dear, sweet, straight male friends and them strangely um, feeling into like my friendship with them and knowing that they didn't, that it wasn't like a bro, there was no like, we weren't like two dudes who were friends. It was like a dude and then me, this other person mm-hmm. <laughs> in a friendship with them. It provided the starkest contrast and, and that that could be witnessed felt so supportive. So then finally when I realized like, and when sort of culture shifted and we started talk, having language for all of this or I gained access to language for all of this, I was like, oh, there's a word for this and it's non-binary. And oh, there's a reason why like I've had such a, a tough time in all male spaces my whole life why I refuse to engage them in anymore in my adult life because I don't have to <laughs> so they them pronouns make me feel witnessed they make me feel like really seen um and he him I just accept as a thing <laughs> like it's just a silly part of life but I'm like uh you know people we have these ways of uh getting through the, or we just have these ways of like interacting with each other and, and rarely is one fully witnessed when they walk into a room. Like, so once I get to sit and talk with you, um, like, and really like engage what pronouns you use with me until that point, I don't, um, I just think language is silly and like whatever he, him, fine. <laughs> Hakuna Matata for me, for me, for me. Yeah. But I think that's also just nice and to hear and kind of flesh out a little bit for folks who are like 
who, who were raised as she, her, and never thought about it, you know, or like were raised as he, him, and it just never occurred to them that there was something else they might want to be. They, I think there's just mm -hmm. extraordinary privilege in being born into a body that lines up with how you feel, into a cultural experience of a binary that lines up with how you feel, and like to be someone who like kind of enters earth and is just like kind of an alien trying to figure out who they are and how they are. Um, I mean, that's kind of how I felt and not pronoun wise, but like certainly my experience of my gender was never what other people said it should be. Um, I always felt like I had to cap my, my flamboyance and I had to cap myself down. And I would say like my gender experience is definitely more described by great feminine personalities like Dolly Parton and Miss Piggy rather than like, yes, in some sort of like way where I'm like, you know, your average school teacher woman, you know what I mean? I don't know, whatever. Like just, I think. No, I do know what you mean. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So I think, and I think it's just beautiful to have like conversations like this. So like the, the whole point of this podcast uh, for me and why I put it out is because I, I think stories are so beautiful and important and they create commonalities across differences and people can hear themselves in your story, even if they can't relate to your experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks. I hear you on all of that. And I love hearing the language of the alien because that's, um, that is my experience of being alive <laughs> in this body <laughs> on this earth. Friggin' alien. What the yeah. hell? <laughs> Um, and that's kind of always how I've experienced you too, as someone like an exploration of this planet. Um, time. It's really funny because I think that that isn't, or I guess I realized that that isn't the experience of everyone, um, especially with a friend of mine and mentor um, who's an astrologer and, and psychologist. And he was telling me like, but he said it really passively. He's like, da, 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 da. yeah, but I'm I'm not someone who like you know you know those folks who like really feel like they're from another planet and another space and time and they're here and they don't feel like necessarily innate and of this earth. I'm not one of those. And I was like, wait, 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 what did you just say? Because what he was <laughs> describing is like me. And I was like, that's a thing that's like you have language for and that's codified. And I'm like, I'm in that camp. That's my camp. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking of this now, but it does feel important is that in, um, in response to, it's connected to all of this, your question about what was it like to be young and grow up. Um, astrologically, I've learned recently about the houses and where my sun and moon are placed and both of mine and, and my ascendant ruler, everything is in the 12th house. Um, and the 12th house is that <laughs> really sexy about like being alone and having secrets. Um, it's like uh, the house of solitude, of um, institution, like institutionalization, of um, secrets, of self undoing, of uh, those are the words I remember right now. Um, yeah. But that is a really big part of my childhood. It's like essentially from the time I remember being conscious, I've always had secrets. Wow. And um, there's something about that that like has this alien effect 
in my own life. Or like, I've always thought that there's always been some, you know, sort of sense of public self, private self, but on this really intense level. I think that a lot of queer folks feel that way um, yeah. for a million reasons. But like, my life's work has been so much about um, both having less secrets, like coming out of shame and secrecy, but then also just really em lately just embracing it, being like, yeah, I'm a person, I'm a private person who likes to live a really like private life. And like, that's also fine and kind of gorgeous. And like, there's a reason, um, like one of, I was, I had this moment recently where I was uh, dance, I teach a dance class um, here in LA called Mbap. Mm -hmm. And I showed up and on this particular night, you know this, cause you teach cardio uh, dance aerobics that sometimes, I mean, class sizes can really just fluctuate. So I have, I don't know if you get the sense, but this particular night I felt very clearly, like when I arrived, I was like, no one's coming tonight. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like a, I wasn't beating myself up over it. It was like a, a feeling into the night and feeling that it was true that I missed Friday night at 8.30, uh, no one, I think that no one was going to be there. And that was true, no one was there. And I ended up then just dancing like by myself and it was amazing. Oh my God. It was amazing. I had so much fun and it was exactly what I needed. And it's also how my dance class started. I started a thing called Dance in the Dark where I got in drag and I would show up. And for me, it was like sort of this, cerebral idea or exercise in which I was like I do drag for me I actually don't I always have a hard time performing like it always it's it's really I always build lots of uh dramas around performing it's like really an anxiety inducing thing but my favorite thing ever is to just be dressed up and be in drag and so I started dancing dance in the dark where I would get in drag and then turn all the lights off be pitch black and then host and then dance everyone kind of dancing alone in the dark, but dressed up. So it was just about the feeling. Um, and so I was sort of taken back to that this last Friday night when uh, my class was zero people and it was just me dancing. And then eventually the building closed and I went out into the alleyway and I danced there for like 30 more minutes. And it was so, it was just amazing. Mm. Um, and why am I saying all of this? There's something there about like feeling alien and really feeling this like 12th house energy of like solitude and privacy, um, but also like finally feeling so much joy around all of those things. Yes, I love that. I love the reclamation of joy. I love using your body as a conduit to not feel alone. Cause sometimes, cause like one of the things yeah. like singing, dancing, meditating. There's a lot of things we do that kind of like raise our joy vibration and raise our connection to higher self. Um, and like, whether you believe like that's God or like your soul or like whatever, but it's like the, your intuition is the clearest when you can clear the channel and dancing and singing are ways of clearing the channel and connecting the spirit. And I feel like, yes. like you said, no one came to your class, but actually you came. I came and I almost came to my class more because I was undistracted and I didn't yeah. feel any responsibility for taking care of anybody else. Yeah. And you're not like watching, you don't have to micro pick your movements. You just get to experience the songs. And that's actually something I've been 
bringing into my aerobics practice, um, cause I do, uh, what I've been calling deliberate practice every day. And so I'll practice my classes now more than I ever did before. And, um, but I'll just like drop in to the feeling of like what it feels like to be in these moves and alone. Um, and then it helps me sharpen it so that I know how to be in it as a teacher. Um, and it's just a whole different experience. And I love that you took advantage of that time when you, because also it never makes sense to me when people don't show up because like 830 on a Friday night is actually a pretty great time to have an aerobics class, especially in a town like LA. Uh-huh. It's like, I mean, it's a little bit after traffic. Um, it's a way to like rev your body up and like center yourself and your body for your weekend. And anyway, whatever. It's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great time, but you know, life happens. And I also just, I've taught, uh, I've taught fitness long enough to know that like, there's just some, like sometimes there's just a thing in the air and I'm just like, it's going to be a tiny class tonight. Or like, yeah. rarely am I like, sometimes though rarely am I as attuned to like, oh my gosh, it's going to be huge tonight. Usually I just don't think about it, just show yeah. up. But every once in a while, I get this little hunch, and I'm like, I think the little like the little fairies that dance around and tell people to come to class are taking a nap tonight, <laughs> which is fine. It's also really fine because I really, it's like, why are we doing this? I don't know. It's what you just said. For me, it's what you just said. It's, yeah. I do it because I love it, and it feels good in my body, and it has helped me reclaim this queer alien vessel that I occupy. Yeah. And also I wanted to say about secrets, my, um, my therapist and I have been talking a lot about stuff like this. And um, he says that like, there's a lot of secrecy in witchcraft and magic. Like you don't tell everybody everything that you have going on or what you're doing and brewing. And that's part of like creating the, the mystery. Yeah. But like, obviously, like there's also secrets that are rooted in shame, which aren't the healthy kinds. Um, there's some that are like uh-huh. rooted in truth and like knowing, okay, this person is not a safe person to share this with and that's okay. Or like, you know, uh-huh. it's not worth it to have this conflict with this person. And it's not that, you know, cause like there's stuff you hide from people and you know, you should be telling them and there's stuff you hide from people because it's the smarter, more compassionate thing to do emotionally for them. Uh, <laughs> right. Yes, and I've had my fair share of healing um, unhealthy secrets. Yeah, I mean, you probably had to have a lot for safety growing up. Like, um, was there a moment like where you realized that you were, you know, same sex attracted or like homo, (laughs) homo, homo uh, leaning? I guess (laughs) it's hard to say that because that's not really non-binary anyway. But like. You, I more explosive. I no, I included my reality. Yay! Yeah. Yay! <laughs> um, very homo. Very whatever that thing is. Um, no, it's like it's true that like I have a a I have you know we're we're genderful creatures. I have many genders. One of them is gay boy for sure. Uh-huh. Um, I think that I always knew. I um always knew like I always knew from the time I was little of course the little like you know you're uh, and um I remember in third grade learning someone said 
I was singing Live in La Vida Loca on the playground or another Ricky Martin song. And someone said, you can't sing that. This girl, Amanda, you can't sing that. And I said, why? And she goes, that's Ricky Martin. He's gay. And I said, ooh, what's that? And she said, it's when boys kiss boys. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and... <laughs> Okay, noted. So I think that was like the early, and then I was like, okay, Ricky Martin is like me, I think. But it was like as early as that that I really was like, okay, yeah, I'm this other thing. Um, and then, yeah, kind of from that point on. But like when I was 12, to speak to like, for example, the Mormon experience, mm-hmm. in Mormonism, there is a thing called the patriarchal blessing. Oh. the language around it is insane like I didn't realize you when you're in it I mean patriarchal like it's crazy I'm like little did I know that I'd spend the rest of my life uh understanding the word patriarch and patriarchy to be like the enemy the thing that we're freaking trying to tear down but this in that faith is the patriarchal blessing and it's beautiful moment of uh you sit down with a patriarch literally his name is the patriarch and he's seen and experienced as this like holier than thou holier than all like he's very special man who has this very special gift and he's called he's chosen and he he serves in this role of patriarch for many years and you when you're a teenager sometime before the age of 18 between like 14 and 18 so in your basically the high school teenage years you go to him and he lays his hands on your head and he gives you basically a forecast for your life like here here are your special gifts here's where you're going in life here's what you can expect here's what um you need to do and what ends up being can i just point out real quick that this is very mystical like he's basically cast as a mystic under the patriarchy which is very much anti-mystic and then he's literally <laughs> called the patriarch. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it's true. Mormonism has some amazing mysticism. For example, which is, to, and P.S. I have no, I have, I have no patience for like the Mormon church's current behavior. Mm-hmm. On like, for example, last week they doubled down, as if like gay kids at BYU weren't already having a hard enough time. They doubled down and reminded them that they are not welcome wow. and that they are bad. Like it's just bullshit um but did you know that mormonism believes that like we're spirits that exist before we come to this earth and that like there was this amazing epic like spiritual war in heaven before we came here and that we chose these bodies and we chose this life to learn the things that we needed to learn to expand and grow we chose our parents and our like all of these really lovely things that i um that i spiritually still kind of align with i mean also, same actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Didn't know I that was Mormon, but and I, <laughs> yeah, it's Mormons like are in on all that shit. Um, but it's wrapped in this patriarchal power structure that is really crazy. Yeah. So, um, when I was like twelve, I knew one hundred ten thousand percent. Um, like I knew who I was. I knew I knew that I was like oh God, I'm gay, this is bad news, bears. Mm-hmm. And so I, 
I needed this like bless this thing called the patriarchal blessing. I needed it and I needed it ASAP. Um because these things have patterns in them and basically most everyone's essentially told the same thing. Like you get a few little special nuggets that are yours, but ultimately everyone's blessing says you are here on this earth for a reason. You are going to um grow up to be married in the house of the Lord to a partner of the opposite sex and you will have children and you will make it to heaven. Like those are the main things that you're told. Hmm. And I desperately, P.S. Can you hear very well? There's noise behind me. Can you hear me? Oh, I can totally hear you. And my cat just fell off. He, he was snoring and then he just fell off of a, a nightstand in the room. And so I hope that the, my, my microphone picked that up. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> Um, let's, <laughs> oh wait, I'm going to step outside so that we can hear clear one moment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> poor guy. You okay, Biscuit Ronald? How's Biscuit? He's fine. He's back up where he fell off. Um, but it was oh. really funny. He just like was snoring away and I was like, is that getting too loud? And then he fell. Oh, so. um, love you, biscuit. <laughs> um, so this patriarchal blessing, I, um, I when I was twelve knew that I was gay, and I also fell into like horrible depression when I was twelve. Yeah. Like, started writing suicide notes. Stopped. Like, I had you know one. I started wearing baggy, baggy clothing, even in like hundred five degree weather. Like, I could not. My experience in my body was very violent and I was not having a good time. <laughs> and I needed to know that um, I needed this man, this patriarch, to tell me that on paper, because you get this thing printed and laminated and you get to put it in your scriptures and like live your life, I needed to read, you will grow up to marry a beautiful daughter of God in the house of the Lord and have a family. I needed to know that that was possible. And so I was 12 and I get your blessing till you're 14. But I essentially like begged my bishop. Um, as a Mormon, as a young Mormon, you go into these uh, private worthiness interviews. So it's you alone in a room with a man, an adult man, being interviewed about your worthiness. How that worthy is so, are you? So problematic. <laughs> uh, we can go there next. I, uh -huh. I mean, it's in. I mean, it's crazy the language, and it's and I've only like even that worthiness interview. It wasn't until like two years ago that I was like, "What the fuck is that language?" I oh actually god. like that is insane. Oh my god. Um, but in my worthiness interview when I was twelve, I just begged i was just like what i know i'm not supposed to get this time 14 but here's all the scriptures i've read here's all this other i've memorized all the articles of faith here's all this stuff i've been doing i i think i'm ready now i'm ready for my blessing now and he was like i think he gave me two no's and then by the time i wouldn't shut up about it and i like sh showed him all of the research and prayer that I, like all of this like religious ritual that i had done to prepare myself he said, okay. So I got to get my blessing, I think when I was 13, like a year early. Oh. 
And it told me, you will be married in the house of war to a woman. <laughs> and I was like, woohoo! <laughs> We're good. Um, <laughs> and spoiler alert, that didn't happen. <laughs> Wait, how old are you, McKay? I just turned 30. Well, that's not true. I keep saying I just turned 30. I turned 30 in September. So I'm 30 and a half. Yeah. Uh, and I have not married a young woman in the house of the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> Unless she's me, in which case we're good. We're happily married. Yeah. Uh, which is also possible, you know. I feel <laughs> like maybe I went on a right. date with myself recently and we had a great time. Good. Um, it's so potent and beautiful to just like go out and date yourself. Oh, man real um okay so patriarchal blessing um and also like other than ricky martin had you heard of gay before like or was that something that kind of they kept secret from you in the culture no they well i knew it because i was called it like all the time from the time i was like you know six oh but what it meant was just like you're an inferior being that's femme I didn't really know what it meant until Ricky Martin, boy, you're, it's a boy who kisses boys. That's when I learned. And then, no, but I, but then I knew like, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, I knew. Yeah. I knew what it meant. And I was also like, a, you know, I'm a Scorpio rising. <laughs> I was like <laughs> diving into some dark waters and figuring out like the internet existed at that point. So I was like, uh, you know, I was doing my research. <laughs> As a good, diligent, young queer in a rural situation. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was totally doing my research, but it was in so much shame and so much quiet. Okay. And I didn't, you know, I didn't come out until to my family until I was out to my friends, like off at college on the East Coast long before I came up to my family. And even then, it was so slow. And I took the most passive approach that I could. It was like, I'm going to live my life. I was living my life loudly, but like putting words to being queer, I just couldn't. I just had the hardest time doing it at home because I just did not know how to disappoint people. Like I, I couldn't handle it. Oof, so it took me a long, people. slow time. Yeah. <laughs> learning how to disappoint people. <laughs> um. Not a thing that a double weaver is great at. We'll fucking kill ourselves to, to like, keep the peace. And also someone who's, like, basically raised to conform and someone who's raised to, like, please God and a patriarch and, like, a church and all of that kind of stuff. Like, that really, like, puts you in a position where you feel like the only survival option is to please other people. It's really true. And I did, you know, I pleased other people all the way to a Mormon mission in Argentina where I was uh, called Elder, kneeled, and (laughs) walked around in a white shirt and tie every day for hours on end and had a secret boyfriend back at home, but like continued to smile and keep the peace. Yeah. My God. Um, How did you end up at Yale? I ended up at Yale because I was furiously, I 
what's another word? Fervidly, just like with with a level of um, energy and commitment that I I really wonder if I'll ever experience again for anything. (laughs) I was that committed to getting out of my town. Yeah. And getting far away. And like, um, so I got into Yale by deciding when I was like 14 that I, I thought it was going to be Harvard. I'm going to Harvard or NYU. Those were my plans. And I can only do, I have no money. My family has no money. I'm from a town where no one's even applied to an Ivy League, let alone talked about it, let alone thought about it. Um, and so I'm on my own and let's, and the only way that I can get there is if I work my ass off and if I do everything. Yeah. But it came also from a sense of um, shame. Mm-hmm. I think that like, you know, depression, 13, when I was 12, 13, 14, the only way I came out of that depression was by saying, okay, I'm unworthy to exist. None of these people, like there's something fundamentally wrong with me. So how can I compensate? Mm. The way that I compensated was by achieving and I achieved my way um, to Yale. That's it. Yeah. I can totally relate to that as a people pleasing perfectionist. I definitely (laughs) was like, I mean, overachieving was a great way to stay safe and like something that kept me so safe. It got people to respect me and gave me a sense of power and control and something to like, and I had fun. I had so much fun. Like, on the one hand, I think I was so I, I was um so committed to achieving that it was wildly unhealthy. And like, mm-hmm. you know, eventually grew into like a very unhealthy eating disorder. And also, I was having so much fun. <laughs> like, I <laughs> achieving was fun. I got to go on cool. I was in high school, and I got to fly to cool places and go on crazy competitions and. I was almost a game with myself, like how, what, what wild thing can I do next? It was like my way of, um, it's funny because it's like, I'm surrounded by so many cool, amazing people nowadays, it, deep in counterculture who were just fucking punks in high school. And I was like, I got straight A's and my way of rebelling was by like going on cool trips. <laughs> but there was a certain rebellion in it. There was a certain like, Oh, you told me I can't do that. I'm going to do it. Watch. Ooh. For me, it was almost like I just wanted to distract people from the ways that I was a failure, which was my queerness and my fatness. Um, and so I just like was like, okay, the way I stay safe is I just keep achieving and like giving people yeah. reasons to like me instead of. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get that so much. Yeah. I was like, I can't be the quarterback. So I need to be. Um, president of every club that the quarterback might ever <laughs> so yeah. that he can respect me exactly or that I you know what I mean yeah I totally know what you mean and like um so you got so you achieved your way to Yale um and then yeah tell me more about like at what because I feel I think you said your first your first romantic relationship was maybe when you first got to Yale right yeah, I tried to be, I, um, correct. I spent my, that first year, it was such a paradox because I did not come out and I was still Mormon, but I was 
I was literally all my wildest dreams had come true. My wildest dream was running away to live in a castle surrounded by gay people (laughs) to like (laughs) learn things, learn and like create. And that's what I was doing there. And it was, I was so happy and so myself. And so not, but, and, and then, but it was crazy. This was 2008. So even now I think it's shifted. In 2008, there weren't even videos online about, like, being a gay Mormon. I did not know how to navigate it. Like, I remember the one video when it was posted that gave me a reference point. Um, I, but I, I had this circle of friends. I was in acapella and theater, and everyone, you know, was gay. <laughs> but when I said either I'm straight or, like, I avoided the conversation, they protected me. Like, no one pushed me. They were all like, okay. And it was almost like, like I remember this one time playing on an acapella trip and we were playing like some truth or dare situation. Uh, A friend asked me like, Mikhail, are you gay? (laughs) Like, truth or dare, are you gay? And everyone else like just came rising up to my defense and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not asking that question. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Undelete, unsubscribe, backspace. Okay, blah blah like totally I had this like army of and all of them queer of people protecting me, letting me do it in my own time. Um God, that is so sweet and wonderful. And I have to say, like, I went to college in the nineties and we had a group of friends where we had a couple of people, like one friend in particular who was just very closeted all throughout um college, who is now an adult gay man, uh married to a man, but like at the time we were not protected. <laughs> We were just like, oh, God, what are you? We called him a straight, his first name. It was so wrong. I feel so bad about that now. Like, the right thing to do is to let people come out and to create their identities at the, at, on their pace in their own time. And I wish that was something I understood early in my life. And I feel remorse. Yeah, maybe that's the work that was, that's so, maybe that's the work that was done in the, you know, generationally in that 10 years. Cause it's like, Gay marriage wasn't legal yet, but I did have an army of people that protected me. Yeah. That's wild. But anyway, oops, I accidentally fell in love by the end of that year. (laughs) (laughs) Tried really hard to stay asexual. One of the people in that group defending me, I just fell so in love with him over spring break. And um, it was really beautiful. And we dated for three years. Um, One of which was unofficial while I was away um, uh, as a missionary. Oh, God. we wrote secret letters to each other and were terrified that someone would open them because they all got funneled through the mission house oh. mission home wow <sighs> so was this like coinciding so wait so you went away to college but then you still got wrapped up in a mission how did that end up happening how did you not like kind of wiggle out of that by being like well i'm at yale there was no wiggling. I don't come from a family where you don't go on a mission. Mm. And I was so, um, it was my like, and I knew this at the time. It was two things. One, it was an inability to not please my mother and my family. I had to go on a mission. It was non-negotiable. Yeah. And like, I could do a lot of things that were non-normative, but that was not one of them. I, and I couldn't, I personally could not handle letting them down. Like I couldn't handle the idea of my mom having this wall in her house where she hangs like the, you get this plaque with your picture on it. Like having her three sons 
there are my three brothers hanging on that wall and not me. Like I could not do that to her, um, which is a crazy thing. Um, so people pleasing is A, <laughs> and yeah. then B, uh, I, it was my like ultimatum. I was like, okay, God, I'm going. I fell in love, it felt right. I'm gonna go on a mission because it feels right. So I remember being like, tell me when it's wrong. Mm. tell me when one of these things is wrong it was like a challenge I was like bring it on I'm doing both and you tell me when one's wrong hmm. um but so, also really it was really just such a I don't know mixed bag but really not a I don't know it's a violent it's a violent emotionally violent experience yeah totally so you're um did, but you didn't finish your mission right Correct. Okay. Yeah, I said, God, tell me when, <laughs> tell me when this is wrong. I'm week one into my mission. I you're at this training center in Utah, the missionary training center. I have like my survival mechanism in life is like having fun with where I am. So on the one hand, I was meeting these people. We were like building this weird community, and like there was a part of it that was really fun. But also, I remember week one going to the temple, which is this like private ritual that you go to, coming back from it, writing in my journal, I do not believe in this. This mm-hmm. is not real. Oh. Like, I don't. And uh, that was week one. <laughs> so then I was like, but I was like, I had given up my spot at Yale. I, there was no going back. Like, I couldn't. If I didn't go on this thing, I was going to be where? At home? Like, absolutely not. So I made the decision literally then, week one, I'm on this thing for a year. And once my spot at Yale is open again, which would be the following academic year, then I'm going to leave. Hmm. Um, so it's I just swallowed that. It's supposed to be two years, right? It's supposed to be two. Okay. And you don't have the option to like, you can't be like, oh, it works best in my life to go for one. Like it's a two year <laughs> thing. You're in or you're out. Get with it or get out. Yeah. Um, so I sort of, I, I made the plan early. I'm, I'm not doing this thing for two years. And then just held that secret until the following year when it sh- fit, hit the Cheyenne and I um, then enacted my plan and left. Wow. So you stayed for, you hung in there for a full year, just knowing that you weren't going to see it through. Yep. Wow. Do you? Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> wait, go ahead. No, I'm just like, so curious about like how, how that landed with your family. And cause I think you didn't come out like when you told them you weren't going to finish your mission. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah so I want to say one thing while we're on this, that feels important, which is that my first missionary companion, so you work in pairs, you're always with another person. A mission, P.S., anyone listening that doesn't know, you like, you've seen them, they walk, it's like Book of Mormon, the musical people, but you're really isolated um, and you always have to work with a partner. Like you're always with somebody. You're not really allowed to be alone unless you're peeing. And even then, like your partner's outside the door. Yeah. Um, why do I mention that? Because when I got to Argentina where I was, assigned my companion who was my trainer the person like charged with 
getting me used to all of this and teaching me the way fell into enormous enormous like week two week night one we spent staying up that whole night singing wicked together (laughs) wicked the musical and and jennifer hudson which we weren't allowed to sing either of those and then we the next week he started like just shutting down emotionally the gist is that he had i mean he was in severe depression by the end of it like my first month in the mission he was no longer he would go to these meetings we're supposed to be teaching people in their home and he wouldn't even be talking like he was dazed out and i was like barely knowing the language and trying to like scrape things together and then going home and he was like not getting out of bed and it was dark and he um it culminated in this day when we weren't out working and he was on the phone with the mission president and essentially there was i couldn't put it together i was like what the hell is wrong what's wrong because there was this guilt he's like i just can't and he, he was on the phone i just can't do this anymore i can't do it this is too much I need to come home. I need to come home. I need to come home. And he has the mission president on the phone screaming, Elder, this is Satan. This is Satan talking to you. Satan is telling you these things. You need to stay. You must stay. His mom on the phone, not even allowed to call your family, but he, it was such a severe case that like his mom was called and brought in and she's saying, no, you stay, Jake, you stay. And I I was like, what the fuck is going on in the end he came out to me he was like i'm gay (sighs) and i was like which i ps did despite the wicked singing i did not see because we had had an argument like day three in which he was defending like some homophobic bullshit and i was really upset by it but i was like he you know that's what you're taught to do he was gay and and guess what they medicated him and he stayed they wow. said, we got to get you on a, these drugs and you're staying. And he had a rough fucking time. But that was my intro. <laughs> and I was like, okay, just nine months. I just got to do it for nine months. And then I'm leaving. And But it was also like a map for like, this is what they're going to do when I try to leave. Um, yeah. And so I, I knew how to plan for it. I knew how to plan what I needed to say. And luckily, like, I was innately disqualified from being there because I had a secret boyfriend. So that's all I had to tell them. I have a boyfriend and like it wasn't that easy but like at the end of the day they had to send me home because I had committed that quote-unquote sin wow and I didn't come out to my mom for another year <laughs> like oh. and the more only... those people didn't just like call her up and out you no because I fucking they I got it's such a long story. There's so many details, but basically I, I was prepared for that. Like I knew my mission president was going to call my family uh-huh. and it was like sort of his job to tell them why I was being sent home early, which one does not do. But I had a good relationship with him. I, w- I had been placed in his office to be like his assistant, and, oh. which is why he was A, shocked when it, when it all went down, but also why B, he trusted me. And I was like, hey, I... He asked me, he said, I didn't tell your parents why you're coming home. Um, Should I or will you? And I said, I will. Oh, great. That's rare. That's like a rare, beautiful thing that he did there. Yeah. Um, And not protocol. But anyway, it was left on me. But leaving it on me meant 
this little shame machine didn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even <laughs> talk about it for a year. <laughs> like I came home, my parents said, so do you want to talk about why you're here? And I said, nope. And then two days later, I went to college. Wow. Oh my goodness. Um, as if, as if, <laughs> as if anyone didn't know. God. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and it's so interesting. We can say that now, but like when you're in the midst of it and like shame is the biggest voice in your head, like it, none of it makes sense. And makes sense. the yeah. only thing that makes sense is hiding and preserving. And yeah, that's what I, that's what I did. I just, that's helpful for you to frame it in. And that's like so real. I just, I didn't, I just was trying to stay alive and I couldn't, I had no tools. I like, I couldn't tell you I was gay. I didn't know how to, <laughs> I had no idea how to do that. I had yeah. no idea how to tell you that. Oh. Um, so going back to Yale, you were a performing whiff and poof, that right? Um, yep. Yep. Um, what's the, what is a whiff and poof and, uh, what does that mean? Cause like it was even more than I thought just from watching the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> well, there's some comedy here in the conversation we're having because as a, I dressed up in a suit with a band of boys and traveled around performing a bit. <laughs> and then at the end of Yale, I got into the senior acapella group called the Whiff and Poops, oldest acapella group in the country. Like there's a whole history and mythology around the Whiff and Poops. Um, and you dress up in a tuxedo and you travel around and you do a bit <laughs> in a band of boys, <laughs> which is why I, I had a, uh, full experience doing that and I will never dress up in a suit again with a band of boys to do a damn thing. Oh. Um, but with and Poops was an amazing opportunity. It was an acapella group. Um, you take a year off of school. So I took my second year away from college. It really took the long way. Um, and we traveled. We traveled and toured and gigged. We showed up and sang acapella songs in uh, 30 countries and 30... I can't remember if it was 30 countries and 35 states or 35 countries and 30 states in the course of a year. So you're just jet setting. We did a, a big world tour. So we started in New York City and we ended four months later in LA, having circumnavigated the globe. Wow. Um, is, was it uh, as gay as it sounds? <laughs> so gay. <laughs> <laughs> very homosexual uh in our group there were 12 of us and we were split into two groups not actually not formally split but just like personality wise this was our joke there were the um the dads and those were the straight the mostly straight boys who were like the good upstanding gale boys that you were supposed to be and then the other half of us were the queer stoners and we were ah. the ones that were like getting into trouble in uh, 30 countries all around the world finding crazy drugs to do and dancing on tables and being really gay <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the time of your life it was the time of my life it was uh, i also had a really hard time I was really, uh, um, it's like, how do I just be grateful for it? I, 
I got to go on this wild world trip, which was a dream come true. And my mental health was so poor that multiple times I almost left. Like there was a time when I was in uh, Croatia, I I was in Amsterdam and I, I was like, I was having such a hard, like just such severe depression. And I was having such a hard time staying up with the rigors of tour life. Like I get why people that go on rock stars, I get it. I'm like, y'all fucking OD or have have hard times with all kinds of things because the schedule is insane and there's um and I just got like you know my own weird version of that but I was having a hard time and I remember Amsterdam I was like I can't do this I tried to go home my friend Max kept me there and then I our next stop was Croatia and I remember taking a bath in the sea and being like I'm done I'm leaving and something about that sea said no, honey, stay. <laughs> You've made it this far. Just keep staying. Um, so it was beautiful and it was really fucking hard. It was both of those things. Yeah, totally. Um, can you tell me more about like your relationship with your body and eating and like how all of this stuff kind of like snowballed into like, because I feel like you've unpacked your life multiple times, right? Like you've kind of like peeled away this layer of like straight that the world put on you and you're like, no, no, not that and peeled away this kind of layer of gender and binary and you were like, no, no, not that. But then also like there was body, there was kind of like a coming out into your body that you experienced. Yeah. So will you talk about that a little bit? Um, Yeah. The body story starts when I was like 12 or however old you are in sixth grade. There was a week in sixth grade where I decided I'm fat my body is wrong something about me is wrong and it has to do with my body like i'm and um i need to change it and i set the goal of not eating for a week i was 12 and i you know secretly um did it and i but i remember i made it to day five i made it to friday so monday to friday and I, by Friday, I ate. I was so hungry. I ate food and I felt like dying. I like thought I was, it was like such a failure. Mm. Like what kind of, what kind of piece of shit can't go a week without eating? Like that's where I started. Oh God. <laughs> um, that's where we started. And then, um, and then there was like a pause. There was like... But there really wasn't. That was sort of like the foreshadow. That was it. Like, I'm like, high school wasn't so bad. Um, and I, but I remember like I was 17. The first time I ever purged food from my body it was after like this mock trial competition when I came home and I was alone and I was like, I, I feel awful. Here I go. And that was the beginning. And like seven years later, I, but when I came back from that with Mpusier, when it was my like last year of school, um, I got bad. I couldn't keep food in my body. I was purging all of the time. And I didn't know if I was going to graduate. And it got real. I was like, is it possible that I've made it this far and that my degree is three months away and I'm not going to make it? And then I like made a call and uh, very, very slowly started recovering. Mm. and it's been like a journey it's been like 
that was probably six years ago now. And what I can say about today is that I literally feel like I live in a different body <laughs> um, because I have fun in my body now and I have joy in my body now. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was about giving myself permission to move and take up space. And also just like having a lot of structures, a lot of therapy, a lot of healing um, to challenge like the little saboteur. And then, and now I just really love to move. And um, yeah, I forget the question, but that's really, that's like sort of the, the bones of what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, I was just kind of asking about your relationship with your body and disordered eating and all of that kind of stuff. And how you kind of came away from that um, need to control your body and conform in that way. Part of it was like realizing um, my gender. Mm. Like that was huge. Once I realized that I'm like, Oh, you don't feel like a boy because you're really not like this thing that you've been trying to be. You're actually just not that. Um, I remember I had this moment of trying to heal, uh, I was in therapy. This was like two years into recovery. I was like feeling good, like uh, eating, not purging. Like baseline, uh, certain circles will use the word sober or abstinent um, from like really disordered behavior. And I remember going to this, I thought I had this great idea. There was this gay men retreat in the desert. that was like clothing optional and like very nude and in which you would share it was like this healing circle very outside very radical fairy lots of like massages and healing and i tried to go on that trip and i had i just had like a meltdown on my way i couldn't go i couldn't i was driving out of la i was in my car it was a friday afternoon and i could not pass downtown (laughs) to Mm. go to the desert And um, that was the moment when I realized, like, I cannot be in all male spaces. I cannot, they're not me. They're, like, just not who I am. And the feeling in my body that I felt when I tried to go to that thing was so counter to healing and so counterproductive and so destabilizing that I was like, oh, I'm just not that. Just, like, let's just, like, let that be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah that's also just even that simple act of just let that be okay that just beautiful acceptance of let's just try this out and let it be okay and see what that's like it's like a fake it till you make it like um I don't know this feels scary and terrifying but like also like let's just try this because nothing else is working and hiding and being in shame doesn't work and controlling doesn't seem to work you know like there's like a a moment where it's like for me, like some identities were like a realization and an embrace and some identities are just kind of like, especially like around things that I, I don't have a lot of control over, like chronic depression, mental illness stuff. Like I, yes. the radical acceptance of just, okay, like my brain doesn't pump serotonin like a regular person. And I kind of need like, I mean, that's why I'm an aerobics instructor is for survival. Yes, I get it. <laughs> I think me too, though. Bevan, I really think me too. It's yeah. in a different way. Like for me, it's like I have to move my body because it gives me joy and I need that joy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the same. Anyway, I get it. Yeah. It's like okay. a healing practice. 
yeah. for myself. And like, if other people want to come along, I really invite them to, but it's really like, um, not like built. It's not others oriented. Yeah. It's not others. I mean, I, for me, like, I think part of it is others oriented simply because I'm yeah, you really are. I feel like you've really created a space. I'm a show girl. Like I like, <laughs> yeah. I've always been a great MC like of shows and things like that because I know what it feels like to feel excluded. And so I work hard to bring people in on it. And I, I work hard to learn more, ever evolving ways of helping people feel like they belong. And, and so- you're really good at it because I felt it's so, because you know what you, I think I've shared this with you, but being a part of your, when I moved to LA and started, uh, like teaching spin, for example, I was, it was so meaningful and healing for me in so many ways. But also I was in this like boutique, straight people, thin bodied world of Los Angeles fitness and coming, finding like a space like a uh, dance party was so healing to me Aww. because it was so joy based. And so like, not about fucking being any kind of way, but but like there and moving. Yeah. And, and it was amazing. It helped me so much. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And also just like you too. I love your presence. Like you were there from the very beginning of Facket Dance Party. And like, yeah, I remember that first class. So freaking hilarious. I just remember cackling. <laughs> oh my God. That's I, right. You were in my first class. Yeah, I was Ursula and like, the spirit fingers like all of it I just remember oh my god there's so much joy here I'm staying yeah it was really cool and like also having you as part of my workout video was really important to me because I wanted someone who like embodied the joy of movement and like watching you move is joyful and so like I knew that was so important to have on screen Plus I really wanted like body size diversity and gender diversity. And like, I wanted it to be more than just like boys and girls and like trans, like, cause I have like a really incredible mix of gender that you can't even fully see or identify in the cast, but it's there. And I wanted the moment of like you popping out with they, them pronouns, like at the end, like for people to just remember and realize that gender is way more than visual and it's way more than a thing. Yeah right like word yeah. and so it was like and like fat kid dance party guess what like uh i like i felt so aligned and like more aligned and that can as like a thin bodied person in the world i felt so much safer and the experience that you created was so much more related to my own personal experience in my body than like a lot of like thin privilege spaces that I've occupied. Like there was something so validating about body reclamation built into that experience and your class that is my life that I don't think is as visible if you just are judging people off of how they look. Yeah. Oh, what a shallow way to run through the world. Cause it's like, it's like you've made a decision about somebody based on something that has nothing to do with who they are and nothing that, I mean, other than like their clothing, really nothing to do with what they chose, you know? Yeah. So it's uh-huh. very shallow. Um, and really, and kind of sad. I heard the best quote about insecurity yeah. I've heard recently is that insecurity is making a judgment about someone before you even know them. Um, and that wow. to me is so profound. That's real. 
That's yeah. so real. Um, McKay, do you have advice that you would give your younger, like 18 year old self? Oh, um, I don't know because what could I have told that person that, and like what tools did that person have to receive what I would tell them now? I don't yeah, okay. know. Um, <laughs> uh, I just like, Hey, I love you. I love you. And you're not a fucking bad person. Yeah. You're not a bad person. Do you know what I really would though? Like at 18, I really believed in the world. Like I really believed in all of these dreams that I, in all of, I, I really have this rosy eyed view of like my future and my life and like what I didn't have any idea about was like how hard it was going to be mm-hmm. and like how it like braced for impact. <laughs> it's like, oh girl, it's going to be rough. I just want you, I just would just sit down and gently be like, hey, um, here are some, t- like, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough go, but also there's so much joy waiting for you. Like a lot of it. Oh my God, as a giant garbage can drives by and dumps some <laughs> trash. <laughs> very LA. <laughs> yeah, um, very LA. <laughs> you know what? I have to say, like, I have mad respect for LA sanitation just because, like, first and foremost, there's a lot of options that not everywhere has now that I've moved away from a major metropolitan. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really true. And they recycle like champions in this town. Yeah. And those um, like anyway. twisty windy streets that they're always driving up to gather trash is pretty incredible. It's stunning. I would not be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would retire very quickly. Yeah. Um, but that's it. Just like, hey, 18-year-old kid, I love you. You're not a bad person. And like I know you think everything's gonna be all fine, but actually that's true. But like here's a little roadmap of things we can expect. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> are you wearing a helmet? <laughs> great <laughs> let's get you a cuter helmet <laughs> and a sturdier one okay yeah. let's go cuter sturdier helmet that's totally true um I also like your family is now very accepting of you right like you've really mended that like you've kind of come through and come out like and come together and you visit them pretty frequently right yeah that's been like the surprise of my life I really built my my teacher around not having a family, I really thought that I would not. Um, and that has been false, 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 false. I have other siblings that have left the church, um, some of whom have left the church over their treatment of LGBT people. Um, and we have like done the work and it has been brutal. Like there's no glamorizing it, but also it's been sweet. Like I'm really lucky. I have five siblings. I talk to all of them. I used to talk to them never, not at all. Like I really left. Um, I used to like not talk to my mom ever, <laughs> and now I have. They're all like present in my life. That I could have never guessed in a hundred thousand years that that would be true. Mm-hmm. Not because they're bad people, but just because. I really felt like the odds were stacked against us and I just never, I just never even entertained the idea. I mean, religious dogma is a form of brainwashing and they were brainwashed to believe 
things that you had to fight out of in order to just be yourself. And so like the fact that it was so crucial to your own personal survival was like a, a reason, right? Like an impetus to get out of it. But like, you can't count on your family to do that work too. No, you really can't. Like, and, and I just knew, like I observed, like the gay people in my town that I knew about one, you know, the gothy gay kid that lived next door, he left town and was never heard him again and did not to his family parents and the other gay person I knew in my town um died of AIDS when I was like six down the street wow so there was like no like there was just like that would have been a very um ludicrous idea to think that like anyone would leave and also my family was so profoundly aligned with the church we sat in the front row every Sunday you know, my dad was the bishop. Uh, there was just not a, a world in which anyone was going to budge. Yeah. And yet. And yet here we are. Yeah. And yet here we are. And you're like, not just like in your siblings' lives, but also in their kids' lives and like really just showing up in family and being there as a family, um, which I think is really beautiful. And I just wanted to talk about that. It's wild. Um, it's wild. I get so excited that my nieces and nephews get to be raised with like queerness as a part of their life. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I got my little sister, the little like rebellious. I mean, my little sister's like, she made the decision after going to Mormon college, she fell in love with a boy who left the Mormon church and she decided to marry him and she let me come and perform the ceremony. Wow. Um, my sister before that, when she got married, I wasn't allowed to attend. I had to stand outside the temple, mm. um, which was, I smiled and like pretended it was not a thing, but it was awful. Um, mm. And here comes my baby sis, like healing that shit and being like, not only are you invited, but you, we want you to have the mic. <laughs> I'm like, what is life? That's insane. Okay. Oh and it was really healing. So I feel very blessed. I'm so glad. Honestly, like officiating a wedding, I've done it a few times, is terrifying because it's like a huge responsibility. Yeah, I don't know that I'm trying to do that again. <laughs> it's terrifying. I, I would do it, but I, I, I got a limit. I won't do more than four a year. Um, there you I, go. I, actually, I would do it again, but I don't, I would not do it again. Doing that for myself sibling in the community where I was raised in front of my Mormon extended in front of my like 82 first cousin I don't need to do that again it was so yeah. scary yeah I can imagine and you know what um what a beautiful example for like the cousins that you're not really in their lives but like to see like because you're not the the queer who disappeared or who died you know you're the queer who showed up and who's like taking up space and owning and being and existing and like and that's its own sort of rebellion and and beautiful thing thank you thank you yay i invited Um, a bunch of gender queer witchy folks uh friends from my hometown to all show up to the reception and we made a some we made a ride on the dance floor it's very fun um i love that that's my favorite part of a wedding is dancing and um convening because it's a part of like ceremony and ritual actually is dance that's why it's part of our yes our cultural history 
of like how we celebrate is dance because it's like a way of like convening the magic of the commitment um, and the ceremony or whatever you're doing. Um, and, but I love being a wedding guest and dancing to good music and just like being out on the floor. Me too. A hundred percent. And getting to like, just do that in front of the fam was a big deal. Oh, so beautiful. McKay, thank you so much for sharing on my podcast and just being yourself and your light. Um, thank you. Thanks for letting me chat. What are you up to these days and how can people can connect to you? Um, I am up to a few things. The easiest way, uh, I don't have like a particularly public Instagram, but if you're just, if you're looking for a good friend, uh, my Instagram is McKay, M-C-K-Y-A-Y. Um, and I am a home coach, uh, which means that I help people organize their homes and also uh interior design and decorate and i have a website mckay dot or nope mckaygordon.com yay i'll put that in the links below do you do home coaching just in los angeles or can you do it at a distance for folks um i could totally do it at a distance i um yeah that especially like setting up a new space setting up systems to make things function um, I'm a Libra at heart, so it's like, how do we bring balance and beauty to your space? Um, and then the Scorpio in me like wants to transform things. So we transform and we create balance in your space. I work for a really awesome designer in LA also a couple of days a week, and we get to do some really beautiful stuff. Oh, yay. Oh, that's awesome. And if you're ever in LA, come dance with me on Friday nights at Sibling. Yay. Um. I love you so much. Thank you for, for your just, just existing and doing all the work that you had to do to like unfold yourself to be at this point of beauty. Cause I feel like just in our friendship, I've learned so much about myself and enjoyed and created so much cool stuff with you. And I'm excited to see where our friendship flourishes now that we're long distance friends. Oh, thank you. I love you. And I appreciate you so much. And if you ever stop uh, posting dancing videos in the woods, I'll cry. <laughs> ironically I didn't post a single one this weekend mostly because I was out of town and I was dancing so much in the city of Seattle that I was too tired <laughs> uh, well I feel you rest and also I'm ready anytime you are yeah I'm, I'm about to go film one right now so good I'm glad that you like my dancing in the woods videos um also just like love to anyone that stuck around for this chat yeah absolutely thanks for listening anybody out there and if you are hearing this, I just want you to know that you are worthy of love exactly as you are. You are magical. You're an incredible one-of-a-kind human being that's here for a specific purpose that is unfolding as you. And if you're in a place where you don't feel like you can share who you are and how you are, I just want you to extra receive love um, and know that your time will come. And it actually, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say yes, yes, yes. Amen to you. Amen. Yeah.